0: Christ is risen. He is risen All right. We didn't finish up the salmon colored sheet. Uh, I think we had gotten up to number five, and then we've got another one. Lavender, maybe, colored sheet. Oh. Purple. All right. So we were in verse. Verse 19, you are not redeemed uh, from, you redeemed from feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so we were right in the middle of talking about the precious blood of Christ. What makes it precious uh, and why? I need to make this a little bigger for you. I mentioned a couple of things I think before we finished last week, but what what do we mean when we say that the blood of Christ is precious? I think that term, like I'll never I'll never really do that term without thinking like Lord of the Rings. You're precious. Um Gotta see it. Yeah. <laughs> um um, what makes it? What is what is precious? What is a precious gemstone? So there's a couple of things. One, it's expensive. Expensive usually, like with like say a gemstone, because it's rare, right? What is it about? Can't be replaced. Yeah. And it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's unique. It's totally and that would also too with, with like gemstones, like if it's you know something unique about it makes it more all the more valuable. What is the blood of Christ? What makes it valuable? Um, I think I might have mentioned a couple of these passages. Uh, In Acts, when Paul is is talking to the Ephesian elders before he goes on to Jerusalem, and he he gives them this, this farewell address, and in that he says, be careful, attend to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, that should be on the screen. <coughs> Here you, no, that still doesn't solve our problem. Um, to care for the church of God, it says, which he obtained, that is Jesus, or God, actually, uh, let's look at it again when it comes back up. Um, which he, so, a, a care for the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. There we go. Um, So, since everyone likes to talk about pronouns these days, let's talk about pronouns. Pronouns, he obtained. Who's the he? He needs an antecedent, the word that that goes back to. So, what is the antecedent? What is the he standing in for? It's usually the closest noun coming to it. So, we got the church of God, which some might say, whoa, 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 whoa. God has blood. Well, God doesn't have blood. Jesus has blood. but you know, So you expect this to be Jesus, but it's... And then, of course, Jesus is God, right? And, and so, therefore, who has blood? Whose blood is this, the blood of Jesus? It is the blood of God. Um, so, one, that makes that precious. And so, like, how do you... Um, but what did he do with it? Well, he used it to... Uh, he obtained you. Um, that, that obtained is very similar than in the, we use the word redemption. He redeemed you. He bought you. You um, also have this. This is in, in Revelation uh, in John's vision of heaven. He sees the, the angels around the throne and what are they singing? There's this, there's this creature, this lamb on the throne and it says looking as if he had been slain. He's got wounds which you'll sing about in the hymn of the day today. Um, and I, I don't think it's speculation for us to say what the, what the hymn says. Um, Those dear tokens of his favor, still his dazzling body bears. Uh, cause of endless exaltation to his ransomed worshipers. That's what it's referring to in this passage. Um, that that stanza of the hymn. It's those dear tokens of his favor of his passion. One of those two. He's talking about the wounds uh, of Jesus. There's still his dazzling body. Still in glory, his dazzling body bears. We see that, you know, in the statue that we have up in the church that depicts that too, right? That's the risen Christ, right? And how do you know that? Because when he has his hands out, he's, he's got holes, right? Um, wounds, scars, whatever you say. Um that it, and because of this, uh, because the, the lamb in John's vision of heaven is described as a lamb, looking as if he had been slain, like even in glory, he's got the marks of having been crucified. Um, because, and, and so this is the song that they sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransom people for God for every tribe in the language of people. So there's the blood of Christ. Um, he was slain in, in his blood. Um, and then you also have uh, Hebrews. Hebrews is a wonderful book. You're going through this whole notion of the blood of Christ, the sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice of the lamb, and, and the whole purpose of the priesthood of the Old Testament is all fulfilled in Christ. It's kind of the, the letter right up to the Hebrews point. Um, And so he entered once for for all into the holy places. You know, the priest would have to go into the holy place uh, to make the sacrifice, but he would have to make the sacrifice first for himself. And he had to do that every single day, the priesthood, right? But Jesus, greater high priest, he goes in once for all, not by means of the blood of goats and and calves. He's got his own blood. Uh, By means of his own blood, of securing an eternal redemption. So, precious blood. I think that, well we, this applies to us or we want to pay attention to this just because we do have the opportunity to interact with the blood of Jesus don't we? Jesus has given that, right? He said take and drink. This is my blood. Therefore, how we treat what we receive we just want to treat it as though it's precious. (laughs) Because it is, right? It is the blood of Christ and we believe that by Jesus' word We believe that it is. Therefore, we will will do what we can to try to treat it in such a way that, well, we'll treat it as something that's precious. You know, so if you have a precious uh, stone on a ring or a necklace or something like that, what do you do with it? Even when you take it off, you know, you don't just toss that somewhere, right? Um, Or you know, you have something valuable, you take care of it. So what do we do? How do we show our conviction that this is the blood of Christ, that this is precious, well, you know, one of the ways that we, we, we hold, we, we put it in containers when we, when we celebrate this, you with know, a precious metal. You know, silver plating is what we have, right? It wouldn't be outrageous for us to put it in, you know, all the silvers, usually marked sterling silver, especially, uh, much more expensive than gold. But a lot of times the inside is plated with gold. And then the outside will be silver. A lot of them are. I don't know why that is. If there's a difference in the properties of that, I'm not sure. Um, uh, but then you also see sometimes they're they're decorated on the outside with jewels, and, and we've gone through that before. I think I showed you from my catalog. I'll show you the, the twenty thousand dollar chalice. <laughs> and like, yeah, we're probably not going to be able to do that. But like, if someone says, well, that would be a waste of money, and and. It, it potentially could because we know that it could be used for something else. On the other hand, on the other hand, we could never, we, we could never get a chalice that would be worth more than what is in, what is in place inside. You know? And so that doesn't mean, well, let's just use the red solo cup then instead. No, I don't, I don't think we need to go there, right? Um, but have some dignity towards it, and then the way that we treat it. Um, you know th- th- this explains and why uh, it, it's not just superstition. When Luther, we hear these stories of Luther, when um, he's very old, uh, and he well, when he's young, his first mass he gets kind of he gets shaky. And he like I think he even spills a little. He's terrified of, of spilling. It. And people say, well, that's because he was a Roman Catholic. And he was, you know, uh, I think he just took Jesus' word seriously. And so this is he might there may have been an unwholesome that he had early on, perhaps. But when he's old, one of the last times he ever distributed the Lord's Supper, he spilled. Um, and I don't know, I can't remember how old he was, um, but um, not well, he was never very well. Um, but he spills some on the floor, and you know what he does? He gets down on his feet, like in his feeble knees, he gets down and he licks it off the floor. And we might say, well, maybe we don't have to do that. <laughs> but I think the, the, the point would be, this is precious. And we can say, well, you know, outside of the use of the sacrament, it's, it's particularly in the sacrament that we maintain it is Jesus' blood. But when it's been used for that, which is so our practice, you know, when, when we do finish with communion, and we have some left, we, we don't just throw it in the, in the drain, put it down the drain with the rest of our refuse. We'd say, let's treat it as the, let's say it's precious. So that's an application of that. Um, Number six then asks, uh, how does from the foundation of the world to his being made manifest in the last time result in setting our faith and hope in God? And that refers to then this, let's go back to 1 Peter. This verse 20 uh, into 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Um, so, so the result is because he was foreknown and was made manifest. Those two things. So from the beginning he was it was known that this is the one who was going to be the Savior uh, from the very beginning. So, you know, when we were talking about the prophets looking ahead, this is all known ahead of time that it was him. um, But then made manifest in the last times. So he's revealed in the last times um, fully through the through the the apostles and the uh, evangelists. Uh, For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead. So that, so that at the end of verse 21, you see that? That so that so that your faith and hope. So that's the end result of this. He was foreknown and was made manifest. This part, the who through, that goes with you. This Mm -hmm. phrase, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that goes back to God. And so this part of the sentence is the result of the beginning part. So this, this is why we diagram sentences in English, because English requires it, like, in order for us to, like, figure out what goes with this, because we we separate this off with commas. Yeah. Here we didn't, but we could have, because this section goes with this, and so the main sentence goes, he was foreknown, and he was manifest so that. So the reason why those things happened was so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's spell that out. How is it that both of these things, both that the fact that Jesus was foreknown from the foundation of the world, and the fact that he's been revealed in these last times. Both of these result that your faith and open are gone. I'll start with the first one. In other words, like how, did, how does the fact that Jesus was foreknown from the foundation of the world strengthen your From the beginning, uh, you know. Well, I mean, you kind of summed up, perhaps, in a verse like John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that that He sent His only Son. So the, the result being that He's going to send Jesus. Why? Because He loved the world. From when? From the very beginning. Wow. Um. The, the, this plan of salvation was not made up as He went along, right? God's not like, you know, oh, I've got a great idea. here. Let's make the world and let's make mankind and this is going to be great. Um, and we're going to, and they're just going to be awesome and I'm going to have these people and they're going to obey me and, and and then, then they screwed up. And then Adam and Eve messed up. They get, oh, now what Okay, now here, plenty. Let's and then, you know, and then you know, he tries to, go, you know, let's say, he tries the law. He says, okay, here, I'll, uh, I'll rescue them out of Israel or out of Egypt, and then I'm going to be their God, and I'm gonna, they're going to do sacrifices for me, and they're going to keep the law. That's going to work out, and then they don't do that, and then he's got to go, oh, okay, plan seed. And then i got to, that's not the case. There are some who believe things like that. Um, oh, what's the, what's the word? Um. Uh, Dispensation, I think that's the word that they use. That there's these different dispensations. So, just kind of like saying there's different kind of ways that God has to go about saving the world in different eras. You know, and so back in the old, old Testament, he had this era, which was like, you know, the tabernacle, the temple, and all that. And then in the era of Jesus, uh, then he does it that way. And then the era of something else. And then you're going to have the last times, and he's going to have another way entirely. These different dispensations. Same plan all the way along. From the start, it has been Jesus. In the Garden of Eden, when he's dealing with Adam and Eve, Jesus is in view. Which is why he tells, you know, devil, he will crush your head, he will strike his heel. Um, from the foundation of the world, he was foreknown. So that your faith and hope are in God. So you know that he's got this plan, and he's had this plan all the way from the very beginning, and it, it's not taken him by surprise. Um, what about the fact that he was made manifest in these last times for your sake? Plans in place. God does the plan, sends Jesus, dies, the whole thing. But the question would be what does this have to do with you? And I think that, that's where this comes in. Um, this was, it was made manifest to you had an epiphany. What was the epiphany? God revealed himself to you in this word and the sacrament. He brought it. So God saw it to it. So he has this plan from all eternity. But part of his plan is to bring you in, it. Is to manifest it to you. Uh, so, you know, there's this huge plan in, in that plan is, you know what? I want to see it to it that you were baptized. And he did it. And he saw it to it. And he saw to it that the word of God would come to you. Uh, you know, so he was made manifest. And because he was made manifest in these last times, for your sake, uh, your faith and hope may be in God who has this He's done this for you. Um, and, and so that with this, um, I guess I, he says, you, you are who through him are believers in God. So you believe in God. Yes. You cannot not say yes. Um, and then who is this God who raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead? Gave him glory. We could talk about that. You know, sometimes we talk about um, is it appropriate for us to say, huh? it does. Um, do we say God raised Jesus from the dead or Jesus rose from the dead? Which is it? Jesus rose from the dead or God rose, rose Jesus from the dead? Raised Jesus. Yes. The Bible speaks both ways. Um, and so, so we do too. Um, and, and here, God raised him from the dead. When it does speak of God raising him from the dead, or God giving him glory, um, in Christology, the study of the person of Christ, um, we talk about these different um, kind of ways of speaking of the, the, the two persons and how the Bible does speak about Jesus being given things. Like given glory, like yeah, he is God, he's always God. But at his ascension, he is he's elevated. And but, but the beautiful thing about that is, you know what's elevated in him? Because he's always been God. When Jesus is given glory, like at the ascension, what's given being what's being raised up? It's his humanity. It's it's his humanity that didn't always have the glory because he he comes incarnate and he's born in and he's laid in a manger. Not, not very spectacular, not very glorious. Um, he is, and in even the raising of the exaltation. He, he's a man. man usually, men usually aren't raised from the dead. Um, but Jesus is. He's, that his exaltation is a step for his humanity. It's his humanity that needs to be raised from the dead, because it's his humanity that allows him to die. And it's in his humanity that he rises from the dead. The, the resurrection is a very, I mean, all these festivals Christmas Easter Good Friday, Easter like these are all about the God man and and really kind of a, a large part of the emphasis is on the, the man he was God before, but it 's at Christmas now he 's one of you yeah uh, it's it 's a, it's a, it's just like every single times it 's a promotion for you because he brings you along with um he goes into the depths and, that you don't have to. And then he brings you up out of your grave when he rises from the dead. Um, but what we wanted to look at was, was just this question. So, so, so that your faith and hope are in God, that's the result. You believe in God. Why? Uh, just think about that. Someone asked just this simple question, why do you believe in God? And they say it just that way. You know, why do you believe in God? Just think to yourself a little bit, like, what do you say? I mean, you, you, you could say, "Well, I just do," but they want to know. They want to the answer. Why? Do you have a reason? I mean, we could I, we we could think of you know, like, well, well, I don't know because like you haven't. See, what 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 answer do you have? Um, you know, once I prayed to him and what I got came true. I mean, you could say that about Santa. And you're like, I once asked for a pony and I got a pony, like, because, well, oh, there must be a Santa Claus. Um, that doesn't necessarily work. Why do, you want, why do you believe in God? I Here's my suggestion, and I would take it right from this phrase right here You who through Him are believers in God. So, why do you believe in God through Him? That is, who's Him? So we're going to have to go back to find out. He was for non he, Christ, yeah, Jesus. So it's through Jesus. How why do you believe in God? Well, it's through Jesus. Okay, so we have to figure out what that means. But, but essentially what I would start, get us to help us think through is to say, if, if you answer that question, why do you believe in God, your answer should involve Jesus in some way. I think that's a good starting point. You figure, you figure well, why is it? Um, here's what I would say, something like this. Well why do I believe in God? Well Jesus basically I would say because Jesus was dead on Friday and alive on Sunday and I'm going to go with the guy who rises for the dead because Jesus, the guy who was dead on Friday and was alive on Sunday he said that this was the word of God and that God he is God and that God, has this plan, and it's all in Jesus. I'm, I'm banking entirely on Jesus. That's what makes me a Christian, <laughs> right? Everything, my entire whole, in God. That God exists, doesn't? You know what? It, Genesis one and two is true, true account of creation. But I, I do not see it. The reason that I believe that God created the world in six days is because of Jesus. Jesus seems to think that that's correct. And I'm going to go with the guy who for today. I will believe anything that he says. That's what—that's—that's that's what makes us Christians. You're going to hear that in the Gospel for today. Um but Jesus Himself is going to say, "You know what? Everything else is going to go away. This world is nuts. Everything else is going to fall away, except one thing: migrants. That's it. Um, so, so why, why—why do you believe in God? I mean, I don't know. The, my answer is. Jesus was dead on Friday and alive on Sunday. And therefore, I will believe what he says. If he's not, then we're all, pardon my expression, we're all scared. (laughs) If he's not, all our hope is in him. It's entirely in him. And and this is why we sing the Psalms then. I have put my trust in him and I will not be put to shame. That is, my faith will not be in vain. I'm confident of this. I will see the Lord in the land of the living. Um, Okay, that takes us to this next section then. I'm pretty sure we won't have time to get through all of chapter 2, verse 3, but I think we can get to the end of chapter 1. And so, let's do some reading. Uh, Verse 22 through the end of the chapter, which would be 25. 22 through 25. Shall we read that together? the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This this word is the good news that was preached to you. Ah, right. All right. So, verse 22. Um, it says it's a chiasm. Well, does anyone know what that is? Before I tell it, anyone want to show off that they know um, the, the Greek word chi or chi is basic. So you you have it on the cover of the hymnal looks like this, right? The little, and then the, 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 the row looks like a P, and so Christ, C-H, and then the, the, the R is the, the row, as an R um, sound, so it's the beginning of Christ, is that key that, that row. So a key is just an X. Alright, and so a chiasm is just an X form in a, in a sentence, or it could be in a paragraph, and it basically amounts to, you have like, A- B, B, a. In kind of thought or sometimes in words. Okay, so in this verse, you have, I, uh, we ignore this part, or ignore the part 23, but you have at the beginning, he says, based on this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So you've got purified. Pure, uh, purified your souls and then a pure heart and then in the middle you have brotherly love uh, for a sincere brotherly love and then love one another so it's kind of like you got pure love love pure see that it it's it's made just a it's a, a device that authors use uh, commonly and you see it here usually um a lot of times, the, you kind of think, what's the significance of it? Is that it oftentimes centers on the middle thing, because it's kind of like building up to something and then coming back down from it. So it bum, 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 and it's just kind of emphasizing that, that middle thing. Um, uh, one thing to point out here, this term brotherly love, and I look at that in, uh, in Greek, that's the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia is brotherly love, that's what the, the name of the city comes from. Um, Adelphos. Uh, all is the, the love, and then Adelphos is the word for brother. And you do have in both, on both sides of it too, you have a, an adjective, you have a sincere brotherly love, and then earnestly, so there's a, it's a, a degree that's a, an you know, earnest degree, strong strengthens it, uh, and then based on this purification of their souls. Uh, so love is a fruit of faith. And this is saying, well, you having your soul purified your souls by obedience to, where does does this purification of souls, namely, like, the forgiveness of sins, right? Connection to Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. How does that come to us? By obedience to the truth. Faith comes by hearing, right? And having come to faith, then faith has fruits. And the fruit is, brother, is love, right? And then it flips it around and says, okay, since that is true, then, therefore, love from that pure heart. Yeah? Faith results in works, therefore, do the work from faith. This is basically what he's saying. Right? And then and he then again piles on, so it's all these, these are participles in Greek that are just like, because of this, because of this, uh, because you've done this, then do this, then do this because, from this, and then also then because of this, since, also. Just like having purified yourself. Uh, what's another cause for you to love your neighbor, your brother, since you've been born again? Let's talk about that. I think that's the next question. Um, what? How does it describe a Christian's rebirth? What does it mean to be born again? Or what do we learn about being born again? We had he at the very beginning of this of this book. Well, just this chapter here, the letter he had said, "You've been born again to a living hope," um, and now now he says, "You've been born again." How does he describe this? Rebirth. Um, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So if you think about it, you've got your, your first birth, your natural birth, and there's some ways in which this is the same, why he calls it a rebirth, some some things that are similar to being born, um, and, but some things that are different. Because one is, you was perishable, so when you were born, naturally that was a perishable seed. Right? Your your flesh, even the baby's flesh, is, is subject to babies die too. It's evidence of that. Right? That's perishable seed. Um, you know we, we we might might think that no baby shouldn't die. What is perishable is perishable. And that's evidence of that. Um, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Um, but but a similarity is why, why calling it a rebirth? How is our Rebirth, similar to our birth. One of the ways is that um, you don't do it. <laughs> uh, it. It is something that happens to you, um, it, which is something that it will teach us about it. Whenever you talk about like being reborn, this is something. Uh, which is one of the reasons why in the other context where Jesus talks about being reborn or born from above, is in the context of being reborn. No one can um, come unless he's born by water and the spirit. Born again by water and the spirit. And we say, oh, wait, that's baptism. And one of the reasons why some will object to baptizing little babies is because, well, they can't you know, show their sign of commitment because that's what they think baptism is. Well, Birth isn't that way. You don't wait for someone to turn fourteen before you give birth to them. That would be awkward. Um, just if it's difficult when they're when they're little. Um, no, like, I, or you don't wait till they decide to be born. <laughs> you know, you might talk like that. You know, the mom talks to the baby in like, utero. When are you coming? Um, the, the baby doesn't actually decide. You know, if we talk like that. Well, they decided to wait baby didn't actually decide that. Um, this is a birth this is something that happens to us. Um, it is also something that um, gives life. And I think that's probably why Jesus uses it, why the Bible uses it. It is something that gives life where there was not life before. The birth brings it. Yeah? Um, and so, but not of perishable seed now this this new birth, this is imperishable seed. Why is it imperishable? What makes it imperishable? You know, what makes regular birth perishable is that we're born into a. The Bible tells us why it says, right? It gives the wages of sin is death. Because this is a fallen world, broken, and so death comes, right? Um, Even to babies, even to children. But this is imperishable. Why imperishable? Well, so if the problem that made us perishable was sin, the imperishable has has to have dealt with that. Oh, yes, having purified your souls from the word of God since you've been born again um, of imperishable. Because how did that happen? How did this rebirth happen? This did, rebirth didn't happen because you decided to commit yourself to Jesus. How did you, just like you did not um, get born by deciding that you are going to commit yourself to obeying your parents or something? Um, you like agree to, to the terms of being a child of agreeing to like listen to your parents or being a child, no you don't agree to that you just, you just are born um, how does it happen? there are means that God uses to rebirth, reborn us, <laughs> re-birth us um, it is, how, what is it? through the living and abiding word of God um, well of course the living word of God the word of God is living and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, the word of God lives. That's a that's a beautiful thing. Um, we don't think of words having life, uh, but God's words do. God's words, the you know, the Holy Spirit is the um, the, the giver of life. His words, the words of God, actually <laughs> bestow; they're they're full of life and abiding, uh, remaining. And so then we're going to have this. This is. Oh, It's a great day for this, because Jesus is going to tell us the same thing in the gospel for today. Um, uh, So so then he says, so he's going to four, and then he's going to quote, you know where this is from, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not expecting you to. But anyway, you know it? All flesh is like, wait, you... If this was the fourth Sunday in Advent, you would all remember, because it's the Old Testament reading next Sunday, um, uh, and then you'd be like, oh, of course that's Isaiah 40. Um, oh, All flesh is, is as grass, because you remember that. All um, oh, flesh is like grass in its glory, like the flower of the, of the grass or flower of the field. The wind blows over it. Um, grass withers, the flower falls. So what is grass, what is fading, it is flesh. Sinful flesh. Um, not our flesh in and of itself, our, our nature is not to die. We're not. God did not make us to die, but sinful flesh. And so, this a lot of times when the Bible uses this term "flesh," it's usually using it as a term for the sinful flesh, not just for the body itself. The body. Well, we believe in the resurrection of the body, right? Um, God made us to live forever, even in the physical. It wasn't like again. This wasn't like God's plan B. Like, oh, uh, okay, now, uh, now we're going to have some other way of of dealing. I intended the body just to be like this thing that they live in for a while. And then they really live when they're apart from the body. That's not true. Um, but sinful flesh is like grass. Grow up, it dies. Okay? Um, and this is this, this verse here. This is part of the Isaiah section. But the word of the Lord remains forever. Um, everything else fades away. So Jesus is going to say uh, today in the Gospel. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. Flesh is grass. And not just, not just flesh, so Jesus says all, everything, <laughs> of heaven and earth, top to bottom, um, will pass away. But, what does he say? Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. You know they're going back to why do we believe in God? Because Jesus, um, because Jesus says that, and I, I believe in Him. And He says, and His words give life. So you want to live, you stay in Jesus' words. So he says, "Abide, whoever abides in Me, My words abide in you." Uh, the word of the Lord remains forever. Uh, uh, so what is? how does 40, verse 3 and 4, so how does this Isaiah quote prove verse 23? Mm-hmm. How does the fact that all flesh is like grass, but the word of God remains forever? Well, because what has been born in you is not perishable. What made you reborn? What made you born was your father and your mother's seed. That's perishable seed. And all flesh is like grass. But the word of our Lord, the Lord remains forever. And you have been born again through the in living, the abiding, the remaining, the only thing that remains, the word of God. And therefore... then we could go back though, little bit because then you say well let's go back to that this is saying since you've been born again then love one another we could also think about why does that in, in living and enduring word of God having been um, born again like that that gives us new life then to love the neighbor too yeah no, that, that, that's the that's the, the where that's headed um, confidence in God, soul that love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Uh, why Advent 3? Maybe that's a question that we should ask next week. Um, uh, think about that. And I think that should, we should do an attempt to. Um, think, uh, this should, should be our part of our task on Sunday morning, it's going to be the preacher's task to try to help you with this, um, to, to help you think through, why this reading this day? Um, I'll get you started, I mean, the sermon will try to help with that too, mainly on the gospel, but um, the, the one sentence that I'll have in the order and then in the sidebar, that's the intent of that. The intent is to help you say, why this lesson today? What is it, what is it connected to the other readings? I try to, if I can find, you know, like there's there's like a common theme through this and you'll sometimes see that. But just, why this one today? Why? Um, so if we're going to hear that. Um, you're going to have the rest of the context next week in the in the Old Testament reading. You're going to have all of Isaiah like 1, 41 through 8 or something like that. Which starts off, it's beautiful. Comfort, comfort my people, says my God. It's the opening verses of the second half of Isaiah. The Isaiah has these you know, kind of two scrolls, two sections, and Isaiah 40 is the beginning of the second half. And the second half is. The first half is great. You've got these wonderful verses like, A virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and uh, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Council of Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and uh, all these things. Um, and you've got like, the first song of Isaiah and the opening parts of Isaiah, and uh, it's great. But then it gets into this judgment on the nations, and um, in the in the the prophecy, warning them. But then, chapter forty, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Yeah. So next week, just watch, watch that. Verbum Domini uh, manet in aeternum. I've talked about this before. Um, this, this phrase uh, was used in the Lutheran Reformation. Uh, so it comes from here. This is, this is the citation that they drew that from. Um, what it was used for with the small um the emperor was threatening, had been threatening for a long time to destroy the Lutherans. And, and it became obvious that he was going to have the opportunity to not just to do that with trying to you know, execute or get rid of Luther silence him or some other things, they were gonna take up arms. And so Lutherans, various Lutherans in different places got together, made a league, a pact, to say if they attack, we're gonna defend ourselves. And um, as their model, they put this these, these letters, the, the initials for this VEDMA, looks like, I was gonna put up on the screen, I've got, if you see on any of our cars, I've got this on the back of the cars, because so I've got these windows, if anyone wants one, I've got extras. Um, Verbum uh, Domini This this symbol they put on their uniforms, on their shields. Um, they were not fighting. I, I think that I mean, they were fighting for their country, their their territories. These were princes. These weren't like the churches doing this. These were the princes of the territories that have Lutheran churches in them that say that we're going to allow the gospel to be preached. Um, our worldly wealth doesn't matter. Our worldly doesn't matter. It's the word of God that stands forever, and that's what they're fighting for. Um, so that was their, That was kind of their their motto. Um, I asked why would it be an appropriate motto for Lutherans in, in our day. What else do we have? <laughs> you know, as Christians, you know, what are we fighting for? You know, we're going to fight for our, you know, I don't know, just our freedom, for our ability to live life peaceably we, we, that's worth worthy. But you know what? Our freedom to, I don't know, you know, be free from the regulation of fossil fuels or something like that. You know, Something that we're, we are used to using, you know, and the government wants to come and say, you can't have a gas stove or, I don't know, And we might fight for that. Politically, we might say, we don't agree with that, we don't think that's a problem, whatever. Um, Is that what we're fighting for? That'll pass away. You know, you want to fight for the right to what? (laughs) Most of that will pass away. The word of our Lord (laughs) <laughs> the good thing is that ultimately, like, we don't have to fight for that. It's going <laughs> uh, you to know, it's Jesus has already been crucified. They can't kill him again. So they're not, you know, they can't, you know, can't really take away our Jesus from us. Um, unless they would tempt us by the things that will pass away to hold on to those and let the word of God go. You know? If we're given the choice between, well, you know, you can keep your stuff, just give up your church, just give up your, your word of God, that can be very tempting because they could say, well, we'll take away all of your stuff otherwise. And our challenge will be to say, but that will pass away. And the word of our Lord will not. And it will stand against all enemies. I think that's a variable dole in terms of what I'd like to do. So I don't know if you've noticed all around up in church and outside of church, there's a, there's a there's a shape um, that's I, I didn't count. I count uh, in church. I think there's well, there's, a, there's at least ten of up in church. At least no, there's got to be like eighteen or so up in church um, in wood in the, carved into wood, is that, and there's, on the outside of the building there, on all sides of the church, it's a shield. Have you ever notice that? Straight across, um, it's the shape of a shield. Uh, what I'd love to do is if we uh, got a uh, plan to, to redo our, our church identity materials with like the logo and things like that, and to have that featured in it, I think that would be great. Um, and I, I potentially, like, I think something good to be inscribed in the center of that shield would be Verba domini monotonin, like you know, those initials, perhaps. Um, like, what are we defending? <laughs> what, 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 do we, what are we going to hold to and say nothing else, nothing beyond this point is going to be the word of our Lord? Uh, verbum domini. You know what they call that? Uh, in, in, like, liturgics, uh, the, the, we call it the verba, verba domini. Sometimes I might print that in the order. I'm not sure if I would do uh, the, the title for it, verba domini, the verba. Those are the words of the institution, but those are, those are the words of our world. And, uh, the rest of the world can stop. I, um, I told you this story too, but uh, sure. Um, in maybe a different different uh, group, uh, when I was a vicar, the um, we would help, we had like six people that would help with communion, and you know the pastor and the the, the, the presiding minister and the preacher were out in doing church, but then the, the other assistants would come up during the offering, invest in the sacristy, put on the, the robes and then come out. So we would be in there during the communion liturgy getting getting ready. And sometimes there'd be a little, you know, kind of chit-chat a little bit. Um, it's just you know, morning, how's it going, whatever. Small talk. But distinctly remember this. One of the guys who was a professor at WLC uh, and a pastor, uh, he uh, someone was trying to talk to him. He was just standing there, kind of facing, like, towards church. And he was standing there, and he totally ignored him. But he was talking to him, he was trying to talk to him while, uh, in church, the words of the institution uh, recited. <laughs> and he just, he stone him, like, just nothing. Uh, and then afterwards, I had to done, I was like, what was that again? <laughs> like, um, I just, that that really impressed me. That to, to have that respect for the words that Jesus is Sorry, I'm not going to listen to you right now. <laughs> um, even though that's in the other room, I can hear it. And when Jesus is talking, I am not. I think that's um, I think that's a good lesson. To have that much reverence for, for, for these are the words of my Jesus. Um, I, I don't want to give it. I think I mentioned it in the sermon. I think I've got that in there. Uh, that that that's why we stand for the gospel. It's not that the other words of the of the service or something that are not; those are. We can say the words of Jesus too. But they, this, this, these are the words of Jesus, or the works of Jesus. Um, we can stand up for <laughs> um, that. It's a way of showing respect and say this is this is everything. Is is what my what my Lord says. Um, and this, this is the good news that was preached to you. What is the good news? It's that the word of our Lord, that you were reborn by this seed that doesn't, that will not pass away. Everything else is going to pass away. But not this. This is, this is good news. Um, that was preached to you. And I make the note that, so this is the ESV. Um, they do kind of a funny thing. They say, this word is the good news that was preached to you. Um, and in this case, NIV is probably a little bit better, sort of. Um, but then it misses the phrase, uh, it's says, sorry, it's small. And this is the word that was preached to you. They added the phrase good news, and that's because the word for preach and the word for good news is the same. It's one word. Um There's not, and so like it's kind of weird that they have, and this is the word, is the good news that was preached to you. I guess what would we do literally here? Um It'd be, this is the word, the one good news to you. <laughs> um uh, it's it's good news as a as a verb. Uh, Oi um, It's it's a verb, but it's good news. You evangelize you would be a, a, a way, but we don't. That might confuse people. Um, that's really what it is. It's, a, it's as a verb. It's good news as a, a good news to you. Um, and, and the good news. So it tells us something both about the gospel and preaching. Um, one so the, 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 the good news is proclaimed um, so what does, it, what does it tell us about uh, preaching is what should be the content, what should be the, the, the main thrust of the preaching it should be the good news it should center in, it should be get to, it is the good news of Jesus it is the, that, that is what preaching is for is to proclaim this news um, but it also tells us then what's the what's the, what does it tell us about the gospel? The gospel has to be preached. Like it, it it's not just a thing unto itself. It is something that is preached. It's something that is proclaimed it is announced. Um, it, it it's not it's not just the, the, to say we have the gospel like we have it in a book. Well, congratulations. <laughs> it's not something we just have to put on the shelf. The gospel is something that is spoken. Um, uh, to say God's, God's house is a mouth house It's a speaking house right? it's, about, it's about the proclamation It's not just about the, 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 the space or something that we do It's about the, the, the message coming to us Well we did it, we got to the end of the chapter Finally, after I don't know how many weeks, one chapter um, I hope it's not a burden to go through so slowly, um, but I hope you also see just just to allow us to see as as we unpack these. We you know we could spend until Jesus comes back just on one letter. We could if we wanted to, <laughs> um, and we would never get to the bottom of it. We would just grow and we would delight. You know what it would do though? You know if we did that, it would just it would launch us into. Other because the word of God is one. And it would just, it would we'd be like, oh, this is like what's over here. And so um, I hope that's been useful. Let's close with, uh, let's just do the, the final, the second stanza. of praise to the inundation. <clears throat>